0: The Lady Parts Doctor podcast is a health podcast focusing on issues that affect women and those assigned female at birth. However, it is for everyone. This is our safe place to talk about the things that matter to you involving your spiritual, mental, and physical health, your holistic health. It's not medical advice, it's medical information. We talk and I give you the evidence with a little of my personal and professional experience sprinkled in. So sit back, relax, grab your beverage of choice, wine, water, coffee, tea. I always lead with wine for whatever reason, but I'm never drinking wine. I'm always drinking water. (laughs) So grab whatever it is that makes you comfortable and let's go. To the Lady Parts Doctor podcast, I am Dr. Stephanie Hack, the Lady Parts Doctor, and thank you for joining me today. This is awesome! You're tuning in for the second installment of our Black Maternal Health Week series. I am recording a podcast a day. During Black Maternal Health Week, April 11th through April 17th. So it's been really exciting and thank you for joining me. I love it when we chat. Yesterday, we did basically an intro to Black Maternal Health Week. Why... It matters why it's necessary. And so today we're going to do something different. I'm having a conversation and I know you love when we have guests on. I love it too. I always love talking to people about different things and hearing their perspective. I know you also, you know, I know you love what I have to say, but that you also like to hear a different opinion, a different perspective. So we're doing that today. A few months ago, I came across something that pulled my attention from my mindless internet scrolling. I mean, I can waste many minutes, sometimes sometimes at least an hour, just kind of scrolling through social media. But in this post on social media, it was in a group of OBGYNs that I belong to. It was an Instagram post about R&B artist Summer Walker. The post showed Walker posing with her two newborn babies and detailed how she was happy to deliver her babies at home. It read... I am so proud of myself just sharing to inspire other women because I know once you carry twins to almost 42 weeks, especially with one breach, people will try to steer you towards induction or C-section, which there's nothing wrong with these. I just didn't want it for myself. You can do it. This was my second home birth, all natural, seven hours, no tearing. And the post continued, but that's really the part that stayed with me. And I'm going to be honest with you. I cringed as I read it. I am not a home birth person. I repeat, I am not a home birth person. And I'm honest about that. Then you add twins and then you add breach to the equation. And I'm screaming, no girl, don't do it. (laughs) But she did do it. She did it. She had to be evaluated at the hospital after stating, I have thin blood, so I always end up going to the hospital to bring myself back into good strength for them. But as long as my kids stay at home untouched, I'm good. I don't know exactly what that means, but I interpret that as being anemic, and maybe she needed a blood transfusion, but I don't know for sure what that means. And again, this just kind of all adds up to red flags for me, like, no girl, don't do it. You should deliver at a hospital or a birthing center, but really at a hospital. As an OBGYN, this just it just sounds like a disaster waiting to happen to me, but I am not just an OBGYN. And let me rephrase, because I'm I don't want to use the word just. I am not only an OBGYN. I am many things. I am also a black woman. I am also a mother. So I wanted to re-examine the story from those angles instead of my OBGYN risk, risk, risk adverse angle. First, she was able to deliver her children in the comfort of her own home. That sounds nice. No need to worry about the cleanliness because it's already at the standard you're used to or the privacy, like you're not letting somebody in your house that you don't want to be in your house. You have the ability to control all of that. Second, She was free to direct the entire care experience. There wasn't a need to ask if or when she could eat, go to the bathroom, or move around. I mean, that sounds nice. Also, just thinking about postpartum, she didn't have 10,000 people coming in and out of the room when she was trying to sleep and rest. I mean, that sounds nice. And finally, the fear of undesired intervention or mistreatment by the care providers was low to non-existent. And did I forget to mention that she had Erica Badu as her doula? (laughs) I can just, I already am imagining the scene. I feel like there's a vibe, like on and on is playing in the background. And maybe there's some incense burning. And I feel like the lights are dim. It's just, in my mind, a very kind of nice spiritual experience. And I'm making all of this up, but this is just what I imagine. And if I didn't have my professional knowledge or experience, I'd be sold. But alas, I have years of professional experience and they shape my views on these topics. According to a 2014 National Center for Health Statistics data brief, in the United States, approximately 35,000 births, that's about 0.9%, so almost 1%, per year occur in the home. So about 1% of births occur at home every year. I'm sure that number has increased since the pandemic when people were really avoiding the hospital. Approximately one-fourth of those births were unplanned or unattended. So where is the best place to give birth? At a facility, like a birthing center, or a hospital, or at home? The answer is somewhere in between, and really it's different for every woman. When it comes to a side-by-side comparison of the outcomes, quality data is lacking. Our gold standard study is a randomized controlled trial where you take a population and you randomly assign them to get one intervention or another. Then you compare the outcome. In this case, that would be taking pregnant moms with similar medical and pregnancy histories and randomly assigning them to either a home birth or to a hospital birth, and then comparing how they do and what their experience is. As you can imagine, that's not going to work because people want to give birth where they want to give birth. And they're not opting to leave it up to chance or to some clinical person who's making that decision for them or assisting that decision. So what does the data have to say? Rather than give my opinion, I know that's not what you came here for, let's talk about the facts. When compared to planned hospital births, recent observational studies have shown planned home births are associated with fewer maternal interventions, including labor induction or augmentation, so that's using medication or processes to get you into labor or to push your labor along, regional anesthesia, electronic fetal heart rate monitoring, episiotomy or operative vaginal delivery, and cesarean delivery. They're also associated with fewer perennial lacerations. Those are your tears um, in the vagina or the perineum. However, in the studies from which this data came, the mothers planning home birth were likely to have already had birth. So someone who has already had a baby is going to be in a different situation than someone who's never had a baby in many of these cases. This means the results wouldn't necessarily be the case for someone who had never had a birth before. Home birth is also associated with a more than two-fold increased risk of perinatal death, that's 1 to 2 in a 1,000, and a three-fold increased risk of neonatal seizures or serious neurologic dysfunction, that's about 0.4 to 0.6 in 1,000. If the fetus is breached, the intrapartum mortality rate is about 13.5 in 1,000, and the neonatal mortality rate is 9.2 in a thousand. So there are some advantages and there are some disadvantages. To continue this conversation, I wanted to speak with someone who is less biased than I. You know, I, I do my best to be objective. And again, I will always be honest with you when I am just providing my opinion versus the facts. For this episode, I invited a special guest Dr. Carla Williams, MD. Dr. Williams is a board certified OBGYN and holistic women's health care provider. She also serves women as a birth and postpartum doula. That's awesome. And you're not going to see this combination a lot currently, but maybe you'll see it more. Dr. Williams is a wife and a mother of three, She has one daughter that was birthed at a hospital and two sons that were born at home. She was born and raised in New York and spent a few of her formative teenage years in her family's native country, the Dominican Republic. She completed her residency in obstetrics and gynecology at New York City Health and Hospitals in Lincoln in the Bronx, New York. She currently practices at a Montefiore New Rochelle Hospital in Westchester County, New York. And having experienced medical discrimination herself, Dr. Williams is passionate about health equity and fighting to improve outcomes for mothers of color in underserved communities. So tune into our conversation. Relax and enjoy hello and welcome to the lady parts doctor podcast i have a special guest today to talk about something that is something i think that everybody's talking about i often have patients come up and ask me this We're going to talk a little bit about home births, that experience and holistic birthing. I would like to welcome to the podcast, Dr. Carla Williams. She is a board certified OBGYN, and she is also a birth and postpartum doula.
1: Welcome, Dr. Williams. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: You're welcome. So we're going to get right into it. Cool. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell me a little bit about first... What made you interested in becoming a doula in addition to being a board certified OBGYN?
1: I like to say that I've always had um, a natural look on on life in general, but um, in birth particularly. So I was always attracted to wanting to, you know, let physiological birth happen, you know, and intervene as le- little as possible during the process and allow, you know, nature to unfold is what I say. Obviously, I got into the field of obstetrics, knowing that there were going to be instances, a lot of instances where, you know, we had to intervene. And and that was part of what I wanted to do in the t- at times when it was necessary. But for the most part, I wanted to stick to letting that natural process take place. And my desire to become a doula came after having a doula for my second birth and just seeing how beneficial that was for me and wanting to include that type of care and attention for, you know, my, my patients. I wanted to Mm -hmm. bring that into my, my practice as a doctor, but also, you know, do that outside of clinical care and actually serve as a doula myself. So that's basically how I got there. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, that really is the way to kind of provide mm, the best birth experience all around, all mm-hmm. around, I'd say, because I think one thing that our patients really want, everybody wants to feel connected and we lose so much connection, the way yeah. we, the way we run labor and delivery, the way we, provide care as obstetricians and gynecologists because when you're working a shift mm-hmm. right and you know it stinks like you care for somebody you can start to labor with them or start with their birthing process and the pushing and then all of a sudden somebody comes in and you're like over. yeah mm-hmm. okay I guess I'm done and you stay if you can exactly uh, but you can't always stay so mm-hmm. It makes sense to me because I think that's why a lot of us went in, especially to care for people who look like us, right, right? provide the care that they need, but when you're not able to do everything that they need, when you're not able to provide the support that patients need. So, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Now, can you talk a little bit more about the difference between your first and second and how you felt the difference manifested for you having a doula and not having a doula for even your yeah. postpartum experience?
1: Yes, for sure. So with my first, I was a resident at the time, you know, in the middle of my training to become an OBGYN and hospital birth was just going to be the easiest thing for me. You know, Mm -hmm. I didn't have really the time or brain power, I guess, at, at that time to really try to plan for anything else. So I figured, you know, let's just let's just do it this way this, this first time. And you know, I'm I work in the hospital all the time, like I got this, you know, we can just do it that way. So, you know, I, I went to a major, you know, university hospital in New York um to have my baby. And the experience was not what I expected for a number of reasons. I, you know, at that time I wasn't opposed or or to getting an epidural. In my mind, I thought, you know, I hope I don't need it. You know, I don't want it. But mm-hmm. yeah, I ended up getting that. I went to the hospital and um I was basically to make a long story short, stuck at six centimeters for a long time, like basically at least like 10, 12 hours. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. It that's was that's a long it- time. <laughs> That's a long time. It was like, not like six centimeters, but like, you know, I was hovering around five to six for for a long time, and they gave me you know a chance a chance mm-hmm. and whatnot, and I was just with my epidural lying in bed for all those hours, and then when the time came that we decided you know it was too long, I was offered the C section, and I said you know what I signed the papers and everything, but I asked the doctor to have just a little bit more time because you know the monitoring of the baby was okay, everything was fine, so I was like let me try something else. So I I told myself I'm like listen you've been lying in this bed this whole time you haven't moved at all, like just get up and do something. So Mm -hmm. got on in, in knee chest position. And then an hour later, I was ready to push my baby out. So, you know, in that, in my case, it was just a matter of, you know, positioning and put Mm it, getting my body in a, in a, in a way that allowed my baby to, you know, navigate and, and make her way out. So, so that was like part of the experience. The other experience was having having to go through like discrimination during my hospital stay where the yeah, pediatrician. Tell me more about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The pediatrician that came to see um me after delivery and um to take care of my daughter uh, inquired about my partner and I, our insurance, and told us that he didn't take care of Medicaid patients because they weren't productive members of society. Wow. Yeah. So, so having someone say that to us, we were just like in a state of shock. He obviously did not
0: know that you were a resident.
1: He didn't know I was a resident. He, but like at the end of the day, does that even matter if I was a resident, you know, uh, an attending, a lawyer, whatever the case may be, you know, I was a person and of course, and to, to just tell, like, assume that, that that we had Medicaid or we didn't have Medicaid, whatever it was, but to flat out tell us that he didn't take care of Medicaid patients in his private practice because they weren't productive members of society. Like to have a person like that say that so bold, be so bold to say that, and right. then expect you know that my daughter or that I would be receiving good care, like that just didn't sit very well with, with us. Right. And I guess that pretty much was like the the cherry on top and just marked that um experience for us and made me know in that instant that you know I didn't want to be in that situation ever again. So moving forward with my second pregnancy, um I was also still a resident at that time but finishing up residency and decided that initially my plan was to have a birth center birth, but Okay. Um, But then I changed my mind towards the end of that second pregnancy and decided on home birth and went through with that. Okay. So (laughs) I'm going to have
0: a bunch of questions about that, but I just wanted to go back with you saying what the pediatrician said, you know, it's not often that we, and I asked if he knew you were a resident because it's not often a chance we don't often get to experience what our patients experience.
1: Exactly. You know, and it's it was like eye opening for me, really. It, it really was.
0: Exactly. Because I think all the time people might ask, oh, and this and that. And it's like, honestly, I don't, I haven't met every doctor. I imagine that people will provide the type of respectable care that I am going to provide you. All right. And then to see that and see this is the kind of experience that people are having, this is the kind of thing that people feel comfortable saying Mm
1: -hmm. to another
0: person I mean that's the kind of thing it's not it's bad enough that you think it but then to actually open your mouth and share it with this mom mom, (laughs) with her baby and her husband and to have no shame and to not care like what are you doing in your office what are you you know like how is this manifesting in the rest of your care hmm Okay. So
1: yeah. Yeah, and that goes to show you, like you know there's a recent rather recent article that talks about how, you know, providers of of color specifically they were speaking about pediatricians like you know that babies under under black babies under black providers care, you know, do better than um under white providers care. So that's interesting yes. and, you know, just goes to show how things how things work sometimes.
0: No, that's exactly right. That's the kind of thing that you hear, and you're like, I hope that's not true, but but it is true, and it speaks volumes about the healthcare system in our country, how care is provided, and then reminds people that doctors are just people too, with right. the same biases, yeah. you know, yeah. as everybody else. Being a doctor doesn't make you exempt mm-hmm. um, from being biased towards other people. And I'm just gonna pause there for a moment because I have so much to say and i know you're probably having a lot of thoughts as well that study that dr williams is referring to is a study by greenwood et al published in 2020 In the U.S., black newborns die at three times the rate of white newborns. After examining 1.8 million hospital births, so almost 2 million hospital births in the state of Florida between 1992 and 2015, they found that when black babies were cared for by black doctors after birth, they were less likely to die. And just thinking about that conversation that she had with the pediatrician, you know, it just makes you think more and more about it and about why exactly that is. Also, if you remember yesterday in the podcast about Black Maternal Health Week, we talked a little bit about the statistics about Black mothers versus white mothers, Black birthing people versus white birthing people at the time of birth, and how education, which you typically think of as the great equalizer, is not. This was a resident physician with all the knowledge about birth, And this made absolutely no difference in her care because this particular doctor looked at her and had already, you know, I'm making assumptions, but assumptions that are probably accurate, made assumptions about her, her worth, and felt that he could say whatever he wanted to say to her. And, And it just makes me think about so many things. I remember there was this post on TikTok where this woman was saying that she went to the doctor and that she didn't have a great experience. And then she came home and she told her sister and her sister said, well, what are you wearing? What were you wearing when you went to the doctor? And she said, oh, I was coming from home. So I just had on like, whatever this, this. And her sister was like, oh no, when you go to the doctor, you need to fully dress business casual, like you're going to work. And my God, like, Is that where we are, that we really are judging people to that extent, that people are having this experience where they feel like in order to be taken seriously, they need to dress a certain way, they need to act a certain way. And I'm sure you heard me talk about on one of the previous podcasts when I was pregnant and just preparing for delivery, knowing what I know about Black women and Black birthing people and that experience and treatment... I was nervous. And whenever I went to my doctor's appointments, I always made sure to indicate, like, I'm an OBGYN, so I know. Whatever it is, whatever bias, you know, I didn't say this, but I made sure to indicate that I knew what I was talking about and that I was educated. And why did I feel the need to do that? I just had to pause and take a moment and add on to Doctor what Dr. Williams was saying. Let's continue. If you're enjoying the Lady Parts Doctor podcast, please pause and head wherever you're listening to leave a positive review. If for some reason, and I know this will not be the case, but if for some reason you are not enjoying the Lady Parts Doctor podcast, please let me know. I want your feedback. You can connect with me on social media at Lady Send me a DM. Or you can head over to ladypartsdoctor.com and send me an email at drhack, D-R-H-A-C-K, at ladypartsdoctor.com. Back to the show. How did you go from deciding, thinking I'm going to do a home, do a birth center birth to a home birth? Because this is something I hear a lot more often from patients, but then also just from other women I meet, specifically black women will say, Oh, you know, I'm thinking about a home birth. So you as an OBGYN with your knowledge of home birth and your knowledge of just birth in general, how did you come to that conclusion for yourself?
1: When I decided on birth center birth and not just birth, but, um, prenatal care with midwives, that decision came about because at least from my birth, I knew that I wanted as, as, you know, minimal interventions and I wanted to move around. Like I saw how important that was for my first birth and I didn't want, I, I wanted to, to be able to just be in tune with my body, move when I had to move and do what was necessary in order to, you know, birth my baby, um. So I decided on a, on, you know, I chose a group of midwives. I chose the birth center and I was doing prenatal yoga and things like that during Mm -hmm. my pregnancy and was recommended, um, a group of doulas to look into. And I chose my doula. And when I met my doula and I told her, um, this was around like 34 weeks around that time. Um, when, when I chose her and we spoke, And I told her my reasoning for wanting, you know, my birth center birth. She said, hey, you know, that birth center is great. Those midwives are great. But like, it sounds like what you want is a home birth. Like, why have you looked into that option? And I was like, Mm. and I was like, you know, I never really thought much about home birth. I figured that, you know, I wanted to be still rather like this birth center was within a medical uh, facility. So I thought that that was convenient in case anything was necessary, you know, and just after learning more about how safe and and how prepared you could be at home, you know, with midwives Mm -hmm. and me having a low risk pregnancy. And I felt more comfortable with that. I, I, Uh, interviewed a a home birth birth midwife, Mm -hmm. and I switched over at around 35, 36 weeks, and and I had my home birth, (laughs) and it was the best experience ever.
0: I love this. I love that she had such a great experience, and one thing that I really appreciate as she talks about it, she talks about her process and how she did her research and figured out if it would work for her, how it would work for her, and if it was right for her. We're gonna come back to that in just a little bit.
1: Yeah, tell me more about it. Where to start? <laughs> <laughs> well, first, um, you have beautiful pictures on thank Instagram. You. <laughs> <Thank> you. <You're laughs> um, yeah, those pictures are from my last um, home birth. My first home birth was equally as beautiful. And I had just finished residency. We got like, you know, our first home. I set up, my husband set up my pool in my, in our family room, um, you know, a birthing tub. And my midwife had all of her supplies and everything laid out mm-hmm. and I walked around my home. I I squatted when I was feeling my contractions. When my midwife arrived, I was already seven centimeters. I had my water had broken. I had been laboring at home for a couple of hours. In the Uh, pool or just- just walking around. Right. Um, I didn't get into the pool yet. My doula arrived um, maybe like an hour before my midwife arrived. And she was there, you know, helping me through the contractions. My husband was also around and very supportive and helping me. And like I said, when my midwife arrived, um, I was seven centimeters. She checked me. She asked me if I wanted to be checked. And I said, yes. And then I continued to labor around, you know, outside of the pool for a bit. But soon I did, Um, shortly after I did get into the Tub. I labored in the tub for... Uh, an hour maybe. And then she would never examine me again while I was in the pool. She could just tell from the sounds that I was making and what I was doing that I was close to, you know, having the baby. She came close when she thought that the baby was coming. And I just like, I I was kind of like in a squatting position in the tub. And when I felt that my son was coming, I just kind of stood up and she was right there beside me in the pool. And she caught my son, like there wasn't like an active, like pushing stage where I was just sitting there and, and pushing for a long time. It was just very mm-hmm. instinctual. It's like I my body just told me, okay, you know, stand up a little bit. Your baby's coming up coming out. And she was just there and caught the baby and, and that was that. And I just, you know, had the baby there in the pool. I had my son, I held him after a little while I got, I was helped out of the pool, birth the placenta outside of the pool. It was beautiful. <laughs> I mean, it sounds it beautiful. beautiful. <laughs> now, you know, I have to say this because
0: when I hear home birth, I'm like, it is not usually something that I recommend for patients, you know, based on my Professional experiences, OBGYNs, mm-hmm. and you think of situations where you've had patients come in after a home birth. And, you know, if we're seeing you after a home birth, that's because there's a problem. Yeah. You know, if you have yeah. a home birth that's un- uncomplicated, we are not going to see you. You know, I want to highlight that you said that, you know, you knew that it would be, you were low risk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I say that to say people have home births all the time. And most of the time, things go fine mm-hmm. um and there is not an issue so it's just you have to know if you were the right
1: candidate candidate thank
0: you, mm-hmm. <laughs> if, you have to, if you're the right candidate for the experience because sometimes we'll hear something like oh I've had two c-sections and I'd like yeah. to have a home birth and it's right. like
1: mm-hmm. you are
0: not a good candidate
1: <laughs> right right I agree I agree yeah um at the end of the day, I think the biggest thing is proper informed consent and a person being told and explained what what the real risks and benefits are, even in mm-hmm. that situation. Even we have to also just respect autonomy and what a person decides for themselves, because, you know, what you're comfortable with is not the same thing that I may be comfortable with. And mm-hmm. even if a person like I personally, like, would I recommend someone who's had two previous C-sections to birth at home? I, I personally would not. And I would speak to a patient about that and tell them, and, and tell them, you know, what the data shows and, you know, what, right. what my, what my recommendations are. But at the end of the day, if they feel like they're comfortable with that risk, because, you know, what, what are we talking about here? What risks are they potentially trying to avoid with a hospital birth? Because there mm-hmm. are risks as well. And, you know, they're with that. So I feel like, Proper informed consent is key and just respecting individual's decisions and what they want for themselves and their baby.
0: Right. Nope. I agree. I think one of the things that some of us are, the message that some of us are trying to give patients is really, as physicians, we make recommendations. Mm -hmm. Like we're not going to tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. We might strongly recommend that you Mm -hmm. do something based on the information. And we should, your physician should provide you with the information, like you said, to make an informed decision Mm -hmm. that's in line or aligned with what you ultimately Mm -hmm. want. Right. (laughs) And and I think that often that's missing, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, that's missing. And I think that results in a lot of miscommunication between patients and providers and, and really feeling like you don't want to put your care in someone else's hands when they're just telling you what you have to do. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really work, work well uh, for most people, nor should it. So why do you think, and I don't know, have you heard a lot more, a lot more women talking about home birth experiences? I mean, I think that's kind of a skewed question because I know that you're also a doula. <laughs>
1: yes. But, but even, even in, in, in my practice, like I have patients who come who are newly pregnant and don't really know what the difference is between, you know, a doula a midwife and what um, OBGYNs do and, mm-hmm. and how they could potentially work together um, mm-hmm. or not work together. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are kind of lost as to what type of care it is that they want. And they don't know, you know, what it's like to have a hospital birth or if they could have birth at a birthing center or if they're a good candidate for home birth. So I, I get plenty of um, patients coming to me um, asking those questions and wanting to know more about home birth. Sorry, that was your question? or Yeah, was well, I wanted to know, like, have you been getting that question more often? Have you yeah. seen... Mm-hmm. Yes, and then why sure. you think that might
0: be or what kind yeah. of reasoning your patients give you?
1: Mm-hmm. I think that the reasoning that a lot of them have is that, you know, a lot more focus has been placed in the last few years, maybe even with with COVID also of these mishaps have it happening of how maternal mortality and morbidity is just so high in our country, you know, one right. of the most developed nations and with the worst outcomes from mothers and babies um, in comparison to other developed countries and just highlighting also the black maternal health crisis. And, you know, a lot of my patients are women of color and they're concerned about what's going to happen to them in hospitals. And they are looking for out of hospital birth for those reasons. And also not only because of medical racism and what's going on in that sense, but also just in general, the over medicalization of labor and delivery and the process of birth, you know, interventions that aren't necessary, but they feel there are pushed on them and they're wanting mm-hmm. to avoid that as well. So it's a mixture of of those things, at least in my experience.
0: Yeah. I I agree with you. I think that's why I'm hearing a lot more about the home births as mm-hmm. well. Just people are more interested because it's scary. And I will say, you know, I stepped out of full-time clinical practice about a year ago and I had my first two children under the care of my colleagues while I was a practicing, um, attending physician. Mm -hmm. And then my last baby that I had in September, it was, there were doctors I didn't know. It was a friend of mine, her practice, but she was the only one I knew. Mm -hmm. So everybody else in her practice was new to me. And then I had the experience that my patients have and I experienced the anxiety of, okay, you know, I'm an OBGYN and let me make sure they know you know, so, it mm-hmm. and it's crazy, right? Like they don't need to know what I do, right. but I'm like, let me make sure that you know that I know. So <laughs> just in case you have any thought about right. doing something that's not standard of care, I know what the standard of care is. Right. Right. I know what to exactly. expect. Mm-hmm. Um And so going through that experience of prenatal visits was fine, but I had a lot of anxiety leading up to the hospital experience Mm -hmm. and the birth because you know I know the statistics right and overall the experience went really well I had a precipitous delivery I was editing a podcast that like 10, 1130 at night. <laughs> and then three hours later, they're holding my baby. Oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> it was, let me tell I, I believe in having the experience that you want on labor and delivery and the experience that I wanted was to have my epidural <laughs> and my dim lights. Mm-hmm. and to have renaissance playing in the background mm-hmm. with my oil diffuser that's like that's what I wanted okay and, instead I got to labor and delivery huffing and puffing went into triage got wheeled out and had the baby like I think I was on labor and delivery for 15 minutes before oh I had my baby, goodness so oh. that wasn't the experience that I had
1: <laughs> okay
0: but and i can't even remember where i was going with this i had a point when i started saying this um uh, but yeah just the importance of providing people with the experience uh, mm-hmm. that they want
1: because that that's all that's so important too because you know a lot of times we hear you know um our goal is, you know, to have a safe delivery and and that your baby's okay. Like, you know, we want you guys to be alive, but we're not talking necessarily about the experience. And the Mm -hmm. experience is so important because how many patients or how many people do we talk to who, who talk about their, you know, birth stories as traumatic events? Like, you know, i I've, I've spoken to so many people that, you know, they've only had one child, but they had desires to have a large family and they just couldn't imagine ever being pregnant and going through labor and delivery again, or just whatever their birthing experience was because of how traumatic it was. And it shouldn't be that way, you know, yeah. when most of when most people have low-risk pregnancies. And even if you birth at the hospital, it can still be a beautiful experience. Like, right. you know, that 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 depiction that you were, you know, thought in your mind about <laughs> your birth could, you know, your birth and other births could look like that in the hospital, you know, right? Right, so, exactly. With the dim lights and the music and everything. And women deserve that, people deserve that. And a lot of the, the issues with our model of care and obstetrical care is it a lot of it is unnecessary you know what people are going through and it can be so so much different
0: yeah no I agree and just to piggyback on what you were saying like and it shouldn't be a luxury right exactly. because some people are having that experience mm-hmm. large groups of people are having that experience yeah. but it's yep. a luxury um mm-hmm. and it shouldn't be it should just be
1: standard, standard. <laughs> it yep. should just be jinx. um <laughs>
0: So I would like to hear a little bit more then about how you decided to become a doula in that process.
1: I decided I wanted to become a doula officially because, you know, when when it comes to being a doula, it's not like you have to undergo a training. It's not like you need a certification. Like doula is just... A support person, a person mm-hmm. who can support you through whether it be, you know, the prenatal period, birth, postpartum, it. Doula could be your mom. Doula could be your sister. Doula could be your your cousin or your husband or your, or partner. your husband, of course. yes. Yeah. <laughs> so Doula can be anyone, anyone who's just there to support you and and help you go through the process. I decided that I just wanted to do it officially and, like, you know, get some some extra training on it and be able to support people in in that way after I had my middle child which was my first home birth and I had um my experience with my doula my doula basically became my best friend (laughs) and really just through seeing her work and um and other doulas work and just how good my experience was and the experience of others like I said I wanted to incorporate that into how however I could in my clinical care but also you know working as as a doula I officially did that after and took a training um, to become a doula after I had my last baby. And um, it was basically, you know, there's different trainings that you can do. They can be online. It was virtual because we were still, you know, in COVID and whatnot. But I I took my training and then I just started supporting clients in that way too. I joined Ashe Birthing Services, which is my friend's group of doulas. And I have supported clients in that way too, hospital births and and home births. So it's been beautiful to, you know, step out of that clinical role and just be that support person for others. It's, it's been beautiful.
0: I feel like that has to be hard. Like you don't feel like yourself wanting to start providing care.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I, it, it is, it hasn't been hard. I'm surprised because I thought that maybe, maybe it could be, but you know, at the mm-hmm. same time, you know, doulas help educate you and help you advocate for yourself. So I just see it as an advantage that, you know, I, I do know what, um, that tracing is. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's a, I do know that, you know, if your doctor is offering you this, um, maybe it's indicated, maybe it's. It's not, you know, mm-hmm. so I just see it as an advantage that I am able to help clients understand better what's going on. And if they have any questions, you know, and need clarification on certain things, then, you know, I just feel really equipped, you know, obviously. Yeah, to give them certain explanations and that extra support. But really, um, any any doula does that and helps you helps you, you know, understand things when it comes to the whole labor and delivery process and, and helps you make informed decisions and advocate for yourself. So it sounds like it could be hard, but really it's not too hard to step (laughs) back and, and just, you know, support there and, and yeah, it's a different experience, but it's as rewarding. No, I mean, I, I think that makes sense
0: because you know, in my practice, I do a lot of supporting and coaching and it's a lot to try to do that. And then also provide the care. And then you don't get to spend as much time because you're kind of running around checking Mm -hmm. on everybody. So to be able to just kind of stay and be supportive Mm -hmm. for one person.
1: Right. Exactly. And you know, yeah. And like you mentioned, you know, when you have your patients that sometimes that's also like a difference between the midwifery model of care, you know, and, and home birth and then, you know, obstetricians and, and how we work, unless it's a solo private practice, uh, maybe you can are able to develop that type of relationship where you're consistently, you know, seeing your patient and you are the one who delivers their baby or catches their baby. But yeah, that's, that's the part of the limitations that we have as, you know, a lot of us practicing obstetricians, you know, whether it's in a group practice or, whatever the case may be, we don't Mm -hmm. really develop those relationships quite the same as home birth midwives. Well, you found a way to get the best of both worlds.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, thank you very much, Dr. Williams, for coming on and speaking. I think this is a really awesome episode. I want to make sure if people want to know where to find you for obstetrical care, Mm -hmm. um, gynecological care, and then also for doula services, where can they find you?
1: So for doula services, you can just look up Ashe birthing services site and I am there and you can shoot us an email through there. If you're looking to uh, see me for clinical care, then I work for Montefiore, New Rochelle. You can find me on their site. Um, You can also email me at md at gmail.com. And what's your, can they follow you on Instagram? They can as well. Yes. And that's Dr. Carla Williams.
0: That was a really great, interesting, and informative conversation with Dr. Williams, and I really hope you enjoyed that. I enjoyed having her on. She was a great guest, and it was great to hear her experience. Now, what is the takeaway from this conversation? The bottom line is, from the limited data we have, the mortality rate of home births are low, but higher than hospital births. Furthermore, it's important to use the right selection criteria the american college of obstetricians and gynecologists also known as the college believes that hospitals and accredited birth centers are the safest settings for birth but also recognizes that each woman has the right to make a medically informed decision about delivery according to the college you need to consider several factors before deciding to proceed with a home birth and i have to admit i'm in agreement with this first the appropriate selection criteria you want to make sure that you are actually the right candidate For a home birth. According to the college's committee on obstetrics, fetal malpresentation, multiple gestation, or prior cesarean delivery are considered absolute contraindications to having a planned home birth and notice how they say planned home birth because we recognize that sometimes you are en route to the hospital and you might not make it okay that almost happened to me with my last with my last birth to give some more information fetal malpresentation means a fetus a baby that is not head down with the head ready to come out of the vagina multiple gestations would be any pregnancy that has two or more Babies. So, twins, triplets, that's multiple gestation. And of course, cesarean delivery is a C section. So, all of those are considered absolute contraindications, meaning under no circumstances do they recommend that you have a planned home birth. If you have any of those, they recommend that you plan to deliver, or excuse me, to plan to birth at uh, the hospital, potentially a birth center that's connected with a hospital. Two, expert availability. You want to have available a certified nurse midwife, a certified midwife or midwife whose education and licensure meet International Confederation of Midwives global standards for midwifery education or physician practicing obstetrics within an integrated and regulated health system. Basically, you want to have an expert available if the ish hits the fan and you need additional assistance. You want access to consultation. That's the third one. Access to consultation. That that kind of rolls in with the expert availability. And then four, you want to be able to access safe and timely transport to nearby hospitals. So again, if the ish hits the fan, you want to be able to get to the hospital if you need it. I hope you never need it. And I hope everything goes fine and perfect and it's beautiful. And I get to see the pictures on social media and say, oh my gosh, that was so beautiful. What a beautiful birth. (laughs) So I hope that this conversation gave you a little more information to better inform your birthing decision or to share with someone you know who may be having a discussion or maybe trying to decide what the best option is for them and they need more information. The goal in line with this week's Black Maternal Health Week theme is to restore your autonomy and also make sure that you're able to make a well-informed decision that you are happy and comfortable with. That's all I want is to you, for you to have the information that you need to make the decisions that are best for you. You can connect with Dr. Williams on Instagram at Dr. Carla Williams, D-R-C-A-R-L-A Williams. And if you're interested in her doula services, you can find her at ashebirthingservices.com backslash Carla. That's ashebirthingservices.com backslash Carla, before you go, make sure to subscribe to the blog, the podcast, Instagram. I'm at LadyPartStock. You know, connect with me because we like to keep the conversation going. And let me know if you have any questions, stories, ideas. If you listened and you wanted to comment on what you listened to just let me know. You can also email me at drhack at ladypartsdoctor.com. That's D-R-H-A-C-K at ladypartsdoctor.com. And of course, if you're interested in continuing the conversation in person, I book for presentations, consulting, and workshops. You can find me through the website, ladypartsdoctor.com. Until next time, which is again tomorrow.